Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I 
Ami. Next today, Jesus is leaving Jerusalem, where he has preached the gospel to Nicodemus, where he has cleansed the temple the first time, where he has uh, been publicly announced as Messiah by those that believed in him, and he's going back to Galilee to do more ministry there. And normally, people from Judea would go around Samaria to go to Galilee and not make a straight line because Samaria had Samaritans in it. <laughs> and the Jews did not receive them. They were considered a mixed race, half-breed race. What had happened was years earlier, their enemies had conquered them. And the area of Samaria, which includes part of what's called the West Bank today, people were hauled off and put in exile in other countries, and foreigners were planted by this dominating empire to uh, inhabit that land. So those Jews that still remained in the land mixed with the people that were there, and so their faith wasn't pure totally biblical, and so they were not accepted, and so they were hated because of their roots. And so going through this land, they come to a village called Sychar, which history says had two wells, one in the city and one outside the city, the village, the town. Uh, outside the city is where you fed livestock. Inside the city is where people went to get their money. And here comes this woman in the middle of the day when women don't normally get water. Uh, they get water in the cool of the morning, the cool of the evening. But she's, she obviously wants to be by herself. She's not in the village. She's outside the village. Her reputation's probably bad. She's been married five times, and she's living with someone she's not married to. And she encounters a Messiah who does not condemn her. Verse 7 of John 4, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, how do you like my Jesus voice? And who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Who knows? Jesus gives the Holy Spirit and he gives the truth. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? They were proud of that and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Can you say new life? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus knew she was thirsty for more than water. Look at all the relationships she's had. She's thirsty for relationship. She's thirsty to not be alone. She's thirsty 
for whatever it was that was leading her down the path she was on. And so he goes for the jugular. Father gave him a word of knowledge about her life. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now she's going to play the religion card. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. So their forefathers did worship on the mountain. So looking at the roots of the faith, the mountain must have significance. But looking at the progression of the faith, eventually Jerusalem became the place to worship. And so they had this debate between which was better. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. They had the most revelation. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is. Can we say right now? When the true worshipers, can we say true worshipers? Who wants to be a true worshiper? Will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this story. I pray, Lord, that we would come away from here with an understanding of it in such a way that it's applied to our lives and we live with more purpose for your kingdom than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going a series, a topical series called Honoring God and More. So today we're kind of doing God and the more by speaking on honoring true worshipers. True worship and worshipers. Who wants to be a true worshiper? The characteristics of true worshipers. Here's 10 characteristics of a true worshiper. True worshipers should be thirsty for God. Sometimes worship is about music in our minds or about rhythm in our minds or lyrics in our minds or harmony in our minds. And I love good worship music. But worship is expressing God's worth with our lives. It's not just the love song to him, not just honoring him musically, but it's honoring him with our lives, our lives being the love song. Because the Lord looks at our lives as a whole, and when we worship him beautifully musically, but then our lifestyles do not reflect the songs we're singing, he sees the two together as a blend, and how does that work? If someone's stabbing you in the back and then uh, trying to, you know, buy you some french fries, how would those french fries taste? If you mix salt water with fresh water, what do you get? 
salt water. And so when we mix our musical worship with our lifestyle worship, when we mix Sunday morning with Monday morning or Sunday morning with Friday night, what does the Lord receive from us? That we're talking about being true worshipers, thirsty for God. This lady was thirsty all right. She came there to get water. But her lifestyle reflected a thirst for more than water. She was desperate. And her life was so transformed by the encounter with Jesus, she ran into the city saying, come see a man. Everybody's like, yeah, right, who's told me everything I've ever done. And Jesus stayed there for two or three days. Such an impact was had in that region that later, three or four years later, years later, the gospel made it there after the resurrection. Philip the evangelist preached, and huge amounts of of people became converted. Why was there such success in those meetings? Because Jesus sowed the seed. Amen. True worshipers should be thirsty for God. The woman said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She didn't quite get it. So what are you thirsty for? What is dominating your life? Is it money? Is it drugs? Is it relationships? Is it a spouse? Is it a perfect life? Is it winning the lottery? Whatever we're thirsty for has impact on how we live. And so it's my desire today that this sermon's like salt in that it makes us thirsty for more of God. That it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but tomorrow I wake up hungry for more of God. And I want to sing to him. I want to encounter him. I want to draw near to him. True worshipers will worship in the now. Right now, with no praise team around, we can worship. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. That song was born in a home when a woman by herself was washing dishes. She was worshiping in the now. So when is the worship hour? It's right now. It's right now. We tell people, you know, Generations Church has worship and the word at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, but I sure hope our congregation has worship and the word more than just at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Now, hour is coming and now is. It's coming in a greater level after the resurrection. We honor the Lord for what he did on the cross and from the empty tomb when we followed up communion with you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Why does he deserve the glory? Because of what he's done for us. And why did he do what he's done for us? Because of who he is. True worshipers worship God the Father. When the true worshipers will worship the Father. Some people worship worship. Did you know that? That's all they talk about, all they preach about. It's their life message, which is fine. But it's got to be centered on honoring the Father. Our faith is in Him. Our faith isn't in faith. You can 
become so specialized in talking about faith that you wind up putting your faith in faith. Kind of like uh, an obsession with a positive mental attitude. Having a positive mental attitude is important. It is not our purpose, though. God knows being a negative person isn't good for anybody, right? So we must be positive. But our focus is the Lord himself. We worship the Father. True worshipers are who God is seeking. He's seeking such. The true worshipers will worship the Father, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Am I the kind of worshiper, are we the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for? Can he tell the angels, look at those folks? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, is he an egomaniac needing affirmation? No, he knows who he is. But he is awesome. And when we worship, we line up with reality. He made us to be in harmony with creation and with his purposes. And when we honor him, our lives are aligning with reality that all of creation reverberates with. The stars worship him. The trees worship him. But when we worship him, we sing the song of the redeemed, a song that angels cannot sing. So he's looking for us. True worshipers will, must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit, some of us have got that down. We're very spiritual. We worship the Lord with our spirit and our bodies and our minds. We honor him with our songs. But we, you can't just honor him just any kind of way. Your songs need to be scriptural. Not that they have to be word-for-word -word quotes from scripture. But we can't be uh, so romantically in love with Jesus that they do not reflect Biblical reality. I just have to say this. Jesus is not my boyfriend. He's not your boyfriend. He's your betrothed bridegroom worthy of honor and respect. Amen. Why? Because we have been highly honored to be invited into his family. Isn't that awesome? So we worship in truth. Is your love song for the Lord scriptural? Could it be sung to just any deity? Some of our songs maybe could be sung to Buddha or some other deity if you just took the name of Jesus out because there's no other truth in there. But I would encourage our worship leaders, and they do, to make sure the song list includes songs that can only mean the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, and his finished works, and the resurrection, and his purposes for our lives to walk in his holiness that you could not sing to some other deity. An example. I like this song. We haven't sung it in years, but it's about uh, drawing near to the Lord. Wrap me in your arms. Who loves wrap me in your arms? I just love it. We sing it to Jesus, right? But that song... It's kind of a Jesus is my boyfriend song. You could just sing it to your boyfriend if you wanted. So in worshiping in truth, he's much more than a boyfriend. 
He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Boyfriends will break your heart. Boyfriends will lose you. Girlfriends will uh, ruin your reputation and slander you. But he will never do you wrong. All right, moving right along. True worship draws near to God wholeheartedly. Jesus, in rebuking the Pharisees, had been confronted by them because his disciples ate lunch one day without washing their hands. Now, hygiene is good, but come on. It's a tradition to wash your hands. It's healthy to wash your hands. But to condemn somebody and to look down on somebody, and so they looked down on Jesus and his disciples because the disciples, uh, they saw one day eating and they hadn't washed their hands. Bad. They said they, they violate the tradition of the elders. And he said, you guys violate the commandments of God. Who knows the commandments of God? trumps anybody's traditions. He said, the, the commandments of God are to honor your father and mother, but you guys avoid that by willing all your stuff to the temple so you don't have to serve your mom and dad in their old age because, sorry, mom and dad, I used to have the resources to help you, but I can't. It all belongs to the Lord now. He said, you're making the word of God of no effect because of your tradition. So he quotes this verse to them. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. And he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So this hand-washing rule, they taught as though it was scriptural truth. Thou shalt not eat fish without washing thy hands. Now, there are scriptural commandments, but every time you eat, it wasn't in there for that, all right? So, in vain they worship me because they've made a big deal out of their traditions. They put on a good show of honoring me, drawing near to me with their mouth. Oh, I love you, Lord. I can't stand her. And I lift my voice. I can't believe that idiot is still here. And worship you, oh my soul. Oh, my husband is a moron. Drawing near to the Lord while disrespecting, drawing near to the Creator while disrespecting His creation. You see what a contradiction that is? So true worship draws near to God wholeheartedly. And true worship is inspired by the Lord's mercy. That's the bridge. That's why so many of our songs are about God's mercy. Some people say, oh, you're just singing about yourself. No, we're not. We are worshiping because the Lord showed me mercy. Take those songs out of the hymn book, you're going to have to take out Amazing Grace. That song's based on God's mercy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So that point is based on this fact. I went to Isaiah 29 to look up what Jesus said. Watch this. 
It's outlooked, yes. Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by commandment of men. That's almost word for word of what Jesus said, right? But look at the next verse. It's the same sentence. Therefore, you think, okay, therefore I'm going to blast you guys. Therefore, I'm going to just chew you up and spit you out. Look at the Lord's response to us. Because we have all drawn near with our lips and our hearts far from him. We haven't always been sanctified. Come on, let's be honest. Come on, come on. We've all have fought Phariseeism and, and equalized our traditions with Scripture. Therefore, look at the Lord's response. I will again do a marvelous work among this people. A marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. He quoted the first verse, verse 13. Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore, behold, I will do a marvelous work among this people. I would assume, therefore, I'm going to kick their rears. As he is a God of judgment, is he not? But his response is, therefore, because they're this way, I'm going to do something amazing. I will do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. So I looked at this in multiple translations, even a major translation that rabbis use. And theirs says, therefore, I will baffle you. I will do baffling work. It's the word palal in Hebrew. It means amazing. It means marvelous. It means baffling. It baffles me then when I'm half-hearted in my worship that he would extend grace and love. Why does he do that? So that when I receive it and I'm convicted for my sin, I want to live a life that honors him. Who wants to be a true worshiper? The word there for wonder is related to the word pala. It's the word pele which means miracle. Therefore, I will do a marvelous, amazing, baffling work and a miracle. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. This is the gospel in the First Testament. So Jesus comes to this people who draw near with their lips and honor him with their mouths or vice versa, but their hearts are far removed from the Lord they so highly prize the commandments of men above the commandments of God to the point they dishonor their parents. And then he does this amazing work. His life fulfilled, verse 14. Signs, wonders, miracles. But ultimately, the cross it's an offense. It messes with our minds to reveal the condition of our hearts. And the greatest miracle of all is the resurrection. To mess with the minds of men. It baffles our 
minds. Why would God send his son to die for wicked people and then raise them up from the dead so that they could be redeemed? Why? He's looking for true worshipers so that we can respond by drawing near with our mouths and honoring with, with our lips and having our hearts not far from him. That makes sense? Do you see that? When it dawns on you, it's amazing. John Newton had been a slave trader. And when he was converted, he was amazed at God's grace for him because of what he had done to other men and women and children and babies. Amazing grace saved a wretch like me. There's a move on in the charismatic world to take the word wretch out because I'm not a wretch. Well, you're not a wretch anymore, but trust me, you were. You were wretched. You needed a Savior. If you had it going on, why would Jesus have died? Let's face reality and not water down the gospel to suit ourselves. We were mired in the miry clay of sin and wickedness, and the Lord pulled us out. We couldn't save ourselves. He saved us because we needed it, not because we were wonderful. Come on. We were totally depraved on a road to destruction. And the Lord did a marvelous thing and a wonder. To confuse those that are dependent on their smarts. You may have more degrees than a thermometer, but you will not understand why you need a Savior unless you recognize that your heart is where it is and that the Lord has done a marvelous thing to come into your life. Now, I got saved when I was five years old. I was not aware of how wicked I was. But there was a thirst for God. I didn't understand all the reasons to believe in the resurrection. But Jesus still died for my sins. I couldn't argue the, any form of apologetics of the faith. I just knew I believed in Jesus. And in the beginner class with other children on my knees, with my head in my chair, singing, Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Tears are streaming down my face. I'm encountering the presence of God for the first time as a five-year-old without much understanding. Being raised in a denomination that didn't even believe in that song. Yet I believe, based on what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. And John said, as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become the sons of God. So in your wisdom, become childlike, because Christ said you cannot come into the kingdom unless you become as little children. Become childlike and admit the fact you need a Savior and you want Jesus in your life. And he will do it. True worship relates to the Lord's pleasure. 
Now, there is a pleasure in worshiping God. There just is. Encountering his presence is awesome. We know his presence is everywhere. That's his omnipresence. We know he lives within us as believers. That's his inner presence. Greater is he that lives in us than he that lives in the world. But then there's his manifest presence, where the presence that is within and without is made real to us in a moment. That's wonderful. But you know what? That's not what worship is about. Worship is about the Lord's pleasure. I know in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But it's about his pleasure, not mine. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. It is his pleasure to save the hungry soul. It is his pleasure to quench the thirst of your spirit for him. It is his pleasure to pull you out of the sin that you're in. So it's about his pleasure. No matter how I may enjoy it, it's about his pleasure. You may visit a, another congregation and not know any of the songs, but you can join in. Why? Because it's not about your pleasure. It's about his. His. There are some churches, even in this town, that have hijacked the worship ministry of their church because they don't want to sing any new songs. Meanwhile, the Bible says sing to the Lord a new song. They made it about their pleasure. And if something doesn't give, those churches don't continue from generation to generation. I so applaud the seniors in this building. Young folks, let's give them. If you're 50 below, give a hand to the 50 plus. Thank you so much for your hunger for God. And realize that worship's not about our pleasure, it's about his. Man, why am I so fired up? The Bible in basic English translated as follows. The Lord takes pleasure in his worshipers and in those who hope in his mercy. We all need the Lord's mercy. And it's his pleasure to give it to us. True worship connects us to our purpose. Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. We've been chosen, we've been made royal, we've been made holy, we are special. Why? That we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's the marvelous work he promised. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So the dual inspiration for worship is the greatness of God. We're fixing to sing about him again, sing to him. But the other purpose is not only his greatness, his mercy. Because his mercy is what gives us access to his greatness. And finally, true worship is commanded from heaven. Look at this verse. John said, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. I don't think that's a satellite, folks. To every nation and tribe and language and people. 
And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, we would be inspired to want to be true worshipers. I ask you, Lord, to continue taking the worship we're offering to you, but, Lord, to true it up, to level us up, to line us up with your purposes for our lives. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray, Lord, they would recognize there's a thirst in their life that's motivating them, him or her, to seek out things in life that may be good, may not be good. But Lord, help us to realize we were made for a higher purpose than just our own pleasure. We were created by the Creator to honor Almighty God. Thank you, Lord, for doing that, we pray. Amen.
you can trust God to do marvelous things as he promised when our hearts are far from him, now that our hearts are near him, how much more will that promise hold true? Not that we get answers to prayer by our works, but there is blessing in union with the Lord. I believe the Lord wants to do some marvelous things today. Not to put on a show so the Lord gives Generation Church glory, but to show you marvelous things. So if you have a prayer need, I believe there's people here that would like to pray with you. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. When two or three agree, it shall be done. That's a promise given to us. That's legal terminology, binding agreement. So if you're here today and you could use some prayer, maybe for your health, for your family, for your finances, for your wisdom, for your future, for a decision you're making, we would love to pray with you.